it seems a bit weird for me to come here and not refer to something related to what you're going through as a city. And it's not that I have the right or anything to do that or the expertise, um, but it'd be a bit weird if I just turned up and didn't say anything. And I want to say something to really encourage you. Um, one of the results of modern media, obviously, is that news gets around the world very quickly. So St. Louis has been on global news everywhere, everywhere. And so everybody kind of knows what's going on, and we're all listening to different sides of the debate, etc., etc. Um, the good thing about that is that Christians all over the world get to hear about it as well. And the good thing about that is that as Christians, we can pray. I think there's a tendency amongst us to think, well, something like this happens in my city, I really feel quite impotent. I, I don't know what to do. I can't do very much. And then we kind of remember prayer. And even then, some of us think, well, prayer's a kind of nice resort, you know, last resort to do when everything else is finished. I really want to encourage you that all around the world, you may not know this, all around the world, people are praying for you right now. In our country, we have a thing called 24-7 prayer. It's kind of gone right across the world, actually. started by some friends of ours. And uh, the day things happened here, they were in contact with prayer groups all around the world, just getting everybody to pray for you. Two years ago, we went through exactly the same thing in London, where I come from. Um, and it was, it was almost identical to what we were going through. It became a very racial kind of issue. All I can say is we galvanized tons of people to pray and it's only when you look back that you realize prayer has really made a massive difference and I look back two years ago we had riots all over London all over the country in the end and as I look back the result two years later is there's is there's more people listen to one another uh, more people are seeking solutions to the problems together um, there is more unity in the churches as a result of what happened and actually, some of the church leaders, I think you had Toppy here, a guy to preach a few months ago, wherever it was. He, he was right in the heart of all of this, and God used him to speak into the lives of people. I massively want to encourage you, you are not forgotten, people are praying for you, and a very strange thing, something really good will come out of all of this. I really believe that. So keep praying, believe in the power of prayer, and God will really bless you accordingly. Amen. Have you got used to my accent now? <laughs> Actually, I've got the original, you have the accent, just to let you know that. <laughs> my family are now in the United States, thank you very much. Yeah. Um, I wanted to speak very simply on a phrase this morning, this is the title of my message, and actually I think it will help incidentally into what's been happening here as well in St. Louis. The phrase is, what we know, K-N-O-W. Christians are meant to know certain things. Christians are people that even when you're going through something that you don't understand, that perplexes you, whether that's in your nation or in your church, or, or for you as an individual, when you find yourself increasingly in a situation where you, you really don't know what's going on. And actually at that moment, it's ever so important that we are able to kind of stay there and say, but 
This is what I do know. My experience is I speak to lots of Christians and I, I say to them, when they're telling me about a situation they're going through, what's God said? Or what do you know about God in this situation? And it's amazing how many times people say, I have no idea. When you're in a situation when you really don't know things, it's so important that moment to be able to say, but this thing I do know. I find myself in conversations with people and I honestly don't have the answer. And I don't know about you, but I don't make up an answer. I say, I don't know. In fact, the longer I've been a Christian, the more I say I don't know than I did at the beginning because I probably thought I did have all the answers. Now I just say, do you know what? I really don't know. And very quickly I say, but this is what I do know. So we don't stay in the world of what we don't know. We say this is what we do know. And if you know something, it breeds confidence in you. Something begins to rise in you and you say, I just, not only do I, do I know this, but it really floods me with confidence. The church of Jesus, particularly in the Western world, we'll all include ourselves in the Western world, lacks confidence. I really believe that with all my heart. We're going through a bit of a confidence crisis. There are so many things around that are bombarding us, and we don't know this, and we don't know that. If we don't know what we should know at that place, we'll be in real trouble. And that's why there's a confidence crisis around us. And for myself personally, and I've been a Christian for many, many, many years, I am still staggered at how easily something happens in my life and it really throws me. I've been a Christian all these years and yet that situation has really shaken me. Or how long I've been a Christian and it doesn't take, someone can say something to me or some situation can happen that I wasn't expecting and I'm amazed at how confidence quickly drains from me it's, you know it's just I'm just being honest with you and I think if we're really all honest this morning we know even as Christians we find ourselves in many situations where we don't know the answers but there are things that we do know don't stand on what you don't know and have a conversation with everyone about it stand firmly on what you really do know we're easily shaken we're uncertain, we're unsure about things. This is a really uplifting message, isn't it? <laughs> Just to make it worse, we are increasingly living in a Western society that is robbing the church of its confidence. We are drip-fed over and over again from a secular world, a humanistic world, philosophies that are not in agreement with the word of God. And as a Christian, you kind of just don't realize it, but this ebbs away confidence. I, I know where I live in Europe right now, the, the attack upon us is not only undermining the God we love and the words that we believe in, but it's also anti-Christian. So not only are you facing doubts and things that are draining you of your confidence and of your faith, but it's also and attacking you so that as a Christian now, if you want to stand up and say, but this is what the Bible says, you have to be very brave and very confident. Because I've just been in Charlotte, I, I went to the Billy Graham Library. Has anyone ever been to the Billy Graham Library? I'm the only person in the room. Have you been there? No? No one? The Billy Graham Library. Listen to my sermon, please. <laughs> Here. 
And um, it's just a, a, a memorial, really. I know he's not dead, but it's kind of like a memorial to one man and how he can affect the whole of the globe. He's just a country boy, really. And the whole thing is really moving. If you ever get a chance to go, it's, fa- it's fantastic. It's my own nation was massively in the 50s affected by a two-month visit where over two, two million people went to hear him preach. And the repercussions still go on today. But the thing that struck me all the way through the presentation, you kind of go through a, kind of his life, you know, it's, it's, it's really impressive. He just keeps saying, this is not what I say, this is what the Bible says. This is what God says. He just goes on all the time. And, and it's kind of like the confidence of the man in what he believes because he knows stuff. His confidence doesn't come from himself. It comes from the God he serves and the word of God that he believes in. So when we are constantly bombarded by an increasingly secular world, which will rob you and I, if it can, of things we believe in, just listen to me, this is so important. It's at these moments that you and I need to know some things. So I get worried for Christians when they just don't know certain things at that particular moment. And then you turn to the Bible, and it's a strange thing happens for all of us. You realize the Bible states very clearly that Christians shouldn't be blown around by everything that happens. They shouldn't be constantly confused and perplexed and wondering about things, but they should know things. So there are words that come again and again throughout the Bible, particularly in the New Testament. Words like, Sure, certain, even the phrase, don't you know, comes often in the epistles. That's an interesting phrase, because if you said it to my church, I think, I'm not sure that we do know. So Paul says, don't you know? Come on, you're Christians, don't you know? And I find myself 2,000 years later appealing to people, don't you know? Sometimes you'll talk to someone at the end of a meeting and they'll chat away to you and they'll start telling you all the difficulties and problems. And I I just love to ask one question. What does God say about this? And it's amazing how many people say, you know, I have no idea. Well, I don't know why you're talking to me because I'm not going to be able to solve this problem. But he can. There are words, the phrase, the, the title of this, what we know, is just this phrase, we know that. The word know, K-N-O-W, comes again and again and again throughout the New Testament. You should know. We know. Don't you know? It's a kind of appeal to us. And we need this more than ever in which the world we live in right now. This city needs some people who say, but we do know. There's a lot we don't know, but we do know. And so we're called by the word of God to come back to a place of surety and certainty And even this thing of we know. One song we're singing back at home a lot is just has the phrase all things. All things work together for my good. Do you sing that at all? Shame. It's a good song. There's one little problem I have every time we sing it. And that's not the full version of what it says. Because the Bible says we know all things work together for good. So just to say well all things work together for good. You've got to know that that is true. In a world where we don't know many things, we must be able to say, but we do know.
Let me give you a couple of examples from Scripture itself. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, the writer is appealing to Christians to come with confidence and with boldness to the throne of God. Not on their own merit, but on what Jesus has given to us through his death on the cross. So Hebrews 10, 19, therefore, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having, and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who promised is faithful. And it's just a section, I just wanted to use this to show you what it's like to be a Christian who knows things. So because we know what Jesus has done for us, and because as we were singing in our worship about only the blood of Jesus, it helps us to come. I watch Christians on a Sunday morning coming into the meetings and the worship starts, and they look very sheepish. They're kind of looking in on themselves. How am I doing? What kind of week have I had? Did I eat too much Thanksgiving? Uh, How's my football team? What did my wife say to me on the way? It's just all internalized. And then you kind of think, I don't feel good. I don't feel right. I really wonder whether I should go out and get myself sorted. All of which is wrong and irrelevant. Your feelings are not the issue when it comes to coming into God's presence. This uses phrases like, with confidence we enter the most holy blood, placed by the blood of Jesus. It's not me, it's him. So there's something I do know when I come into God's presence. It's not to do with how I'm doing. It's all to do with him. It's not how unworthy I feel. It's that he is worthy to be praised no matter what's going on in my life. Then this passage goes on to talk in verse 22, with full assurance. I don't come in thinking, I wonder if he'll accept me today. I wonder, if, I wonder if he will welcome me. I come in with full assurance because I come in on the basis of him. This great high priest who's there in heaven praying and interceding for me. That's the basis of my confidence. And then it uses this wonderful phrase in verse 23. Get this. Let us hold unswervingly, I just love that word, isn't English great? Unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. I'm just using this as an illustration, you see all these building blocks that are in this one passage that's saying you should know things, you should be confident, you should be unswerving in your profession of faith. All of these things there. In the same chapter... Verse 35, it says this. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. See, I think we can throw away confidence. I think we can be so overwhelmed by things going on around us that the confidence that we once had has now eroded. And that's what I'm trying to really get to you this morning. Some of us have had confidence, but we haven't noticed that it's being eroded. There were things we did know, and now we're not so sure that we do know these things. This is a well-known verse, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do 
not see. Even when we don't see God and we don't see things that he's promised happening at the moment, we still are confident. There's still something that we know, which is that he is faithful and he will do the things that he has promised. Just one other scripture in relation to this is uh, in in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And it it just speaks there again about this sense of confidence. Verse 4, such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. So you start to see this picture changing a little bit because it's making you realize, I am confident, but my confidence is not in myself. My confidence is in God himself. In fact, it's not confidence in me at all. And even Paul in Philippians 1.6, he says, I'm confident that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. This isn't about confidence in me. This isn't about confidence in what I'm like. This is about confidence in God. I'm speaking to you this morning about a God-given confidence, not a self-made confidence. Some of us here this morning, you see, are confident type of people. Some of us are not. Some of us have personalities that ooze confidence. We're just like that. We're confident when we go into exams. We're confident when we're with people. We, we go into a party. We don't know anybody. We'll just confidently speak to everybody. Some of us are really not like that at all. We're kind of shy. We're introverted. And, you know, we have that kind of personality. It's ever so important you understand what we're saying about what we know is not on the basis of your personality. It's on the basis of God gives this to you. So every person, whatever your personality, you can know things and you can be confident because of what he has done. And you don't find much sympathy in the Bible for people who say, who suck their thumbs and say, well, I'm just, you know, I'm just not like that. I'm just not introvert. Think of Timothy. I always feel a bit sorry for Timothy. So Timothy's there and he's shy and he's introverted. He's a very timid kind of guy, reluctant leader, lacking self-confidence. And Paul just says, Timothy, come on. I was there when things were prophesied over you, I know. God is going to use you. There were prophecies about you. Get up. Get moving. And by the way, Timothy, God did not give you a spirit of timidity. You may have a timid personality, but that's not what God gives. God gives you a spirit of power and love and discipline. Yeah, but I get stomach aches. (laughs) And that's why I lack no sympathy whatsoever. Take some wine. Come on, get your life sorted out. Get going, Timothy. Poor Timothy. I'm a Timothy kind of person. The Bible just talks about assurance and certainty and knowing and this is not my personality. This is a God-given issue. Now listen up. This is also not a cultural issue either. So I travel to lots of nations. I come to some nations where their culture is very confident. I go to other nations where people are really downtrodden and their confidence is very, very low. Most people in my country, where I come from, would tend to say, after you, please. When I come to America, everybody is kind of going for it like this. It's kind of like, there's a culture in America where everyone is self-confident. The tragedy would be this. If you rely on your cultural 
strength of confidence, even you will falter in the end. I think there's Christians in this country that rely on that kind of thing. And it doesn't work. Because this is not a cultural issue, this is a kingdom issue. And if you are a quiet personality or you come from a culture like I do, where it's all kind of deferring to other people and not really going for things, as a Christian community, we can be transformed. And you as a Christian community, not relying on self-confidence, but on God alone. I'm trying to encourage you. Look encouraged. (laughs) Because some of you are sitting here today saying, oh no, but I like this and I like this. and This is good news. This is not about you. This is about God giving you this amazing confidence. I've been reading through the Psalms and, and I just came across this Psalm uh, just this last week and I thought, wow. It's in Psalm 71, verse 5. For you have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence. Look at that phrase. God, you are, you are my confidence. Not me, you are my confidence. You've been that since my youth. Not only that, from birth I have relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. From that very moment I will praise you. It's kind of like God is the source of your confidence. I don't know things. But this is what I do know. Where did that come from? It came from God flooding us with confidence. My appeal to us today is to be flooded with a growing confidence. We know things. We're sure of things. We are certain about things. Not because we kind of say, look at us, we're this kind of a person. But because God has revealed these things to us. So what are the sources of our confidence. I've just got a few moments to try to encourage you to say these are the sources of confidence. And fundamentally, it all flows out of one issue alone, which I think, <laughs> I think is the most confident-building issue that you could possibly face. And it's this. We know that God himself does not change. We are serving and worshipping and following an unchanging God. Malachi 3.6 I am the Lord, I do not change. You and I need to get that deep, deep, deep down into our hearts. When there are riots in the city, when the Jubilee Church isn't quite getting where you hoped it would get, when you as an individual are going through difficulties, And you don't understand and you're perplexed by what's going on. When sickness comes or bereavement comes or tragedies come that you never saw coming. If you at that moment when you're prone to say, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, what can I do? And you're able to say, but this is one thing I do know. In the midst of all this change, I serve a God who never, ever changes. We change all the time. We change all the time because circumstances change us, and we change all the time because we need to change. Put your hand up if you know that you need to change. Come on, be honest. Put your hand up if you'd like to change. Do you think the person next to you needs to change? Put your hand up there. <laughs> so, uh, some of you have 
Some of you are being a bit too enthusiastic about that particular. <laughs> the number one source of our confidence is though we change, he doesn't change. This ground doesn't move, folks. If this ground moves, then we have no hope. We have a rock upon which we can depend. I have a number of non-Christian friends who right now have tried to place their confidence in all kinds of ground that moves every time they put their foot on it. It just goes. Finances is a classic example. Put all my hopes in, or possessions, or, you know, Black Friday kind of, you put your foot on it and it just moves. It doesn't give you anything that you hoped it would give you. And I'm, I'm praying and endeavoring to introduce them to God. And when they put their foot on him, it won't move. It doesn't move because God does not change. When everything else is going wrong, he stays the same. People will let you down. Leaders will let you down. Church movements will let you down. But God never, ever will let you down because he's faithful. And because he has this character that is displayed and revealed throughout Scripture over and over over for each one of us. There's a little catchphrase that's come in the UK uh, recently, which I don't like, so I'm going to share it with you because I'm not in the UK and I'm here. And in Christian circles, it's that God is never in a bad mood. And it's a kind of weird phrase because I think the word God... I know what they're trying to say, but I think the phrase God and mood should never be in the same sentence. Because the one thing about God is he's not moody, good or bad, whatever it might be. He is unchanging. It's not about moods. It's about this is who God is. And throughout scripture, he has names like I am. That's a great name. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am before the world even began. That's the source of your confidence when you're going through things you don't understand. This God, I am, is with you. This God, I am, is described in Scripture as a God of love. You're never going to wake up one morning and discover that God's changed his mind about you. Well, I did love you, but now I don't. That's never, ever going to happen. He's described in Scripture as the God who heals, the God who delivers, the God who provides. Whatever else is going on, he does not change. Psalm 36, he describes himself as a God who is steadfast, who is faithful, who is righteous, who is just, who is full of joy, full of mercy. I'm not making a God in my own image. This is the God who has sovereignly revealed himself. This is what he's like. Some of you can look happy about this because this is amazing that God, and he's not only like it, he never changes. We know some stuff, folks. This is what we know. This is what we stand on. This is what we build our lives on. Not only that, but this unchanging God has promised many things. It would be impossible for a faithful God who never changes in his character then to make promises that he then decides he won't keep. So scripture is full of promises that this God has made. Not only will he not change, but his promises won't change either. That's what I know. That's the ground I stand on. I don't know all these things, but this is what God said. And he promised. 
So he is faithful. It's going to come to pass. If I stood here today and said to you, I'd like to promise Jubilee Church something, all of you, you would be right to step back and think, well, hang on a minute. We don't know you. Speak with a funny accent. You look quite old these days, so maybe you'd forget what you promised before the sermon's even over. You, you know, we don't know you. Have you got the capacity to fulfill your promise? All those things are valid. So when God promises things, that's the basis of what, who said it? Does he have the power to do it? Will he be faithful? Will he regret his promises? No. Will he stay committed to them? Yes, because the Bible says heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will never pass away. Hallelujah. So what has God said? And you know, even someone like Abraham, it's all described in Romans chapter 4, verses 20, 21. He's going through this process. Can I believe God? Can I believe? He's growing. He's wavering. He's, he's not wavering. He's kind of, his strength is coming. And then he becomes fully persuaded. He just says, I'm fully persuaded that God has power to do that which he promised. You and I need to get to that place. We know. We know. We know. This is what we know. Of course, the greatest promise in Scripture is this, and the most referred to one. Fear not, for I am with you. You know, the opposite to confidence is fear. So what's the antidote to fear? His presence. Fear not, for I am with you. If you knew God was with you, can you imagine the confidence that would come? Well, it's true. Jesus said, I will come to you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So this room is full of people facing all kinds of things. I am confident that God is with you in the midst of those things. That he understands and he has a solution. And he's going to help us to press through and see great things happen. Just want to finish this morning by reminding us that the revelation of who God is, this unchanging God and his unchanging promises, okay? So we know God doesn't change, and we know his promises don't change. And then, of course, one of the great revelations about God is that he is a Trinitarian God. He is Father, he is Son, and he is Holy Spirit. And I believe we are to know things about our Father, and we are to know things about Jesus the Son, and we are to know things about the Holy Spirit. These are sources of our confidence. God our Father has an intimate knowledge of us and our lives. He is Abba, he is Father, he has a care for me, and he has a sovereign plan for my life, which is good and perfect and cannot cause me harm. He's sovereign, he rules, he's overall the, the whole thing. And sometimes Christians, when they hear the word sovereignty, and they hear the word Father, they separate the two things. So they have a very fatalistic view of the sovereignty of God. Well, I suppose I'll just have to go with what God said. This miserly person who's probably looking at me and punishing me for all the things I've done that are wrong. Then we like the father bit because this is more cuddly, more acceptable, and it's nicer. You cannot separate those two things. The sovereignty of God comes through his fathering of your life and mine. He's our Father, which means he has an intimate plan for my life. 
we know he will protect us. We know he will provide for us. We know he has a plan for our lives that will be fulfilled. We know that he overshadows our lives. He's in control. I heard a preacher once say, God is sovereign, but it doesn't mean he's in control of everything. I tell you, it was, the, uh, and it was just, you could feel this atmosphere all over the room. And he tried to kind of say things and everything else like that. And I was, I was at a conference that I heard him say it. And everything inside of me kind of was just boiling. I actually got up the following Sunday in my home church and said, I just want you all to know God is sovereign and that means he's in control of everything. And they all just looked at me. I said, I just, just, I just need you to know I just feel so much better for having said that publicly. And then I got on with my sermon. He's your sovereign wonderful sovereign Lord who's in control of everything. Guys, that should fill some of you with confidence today. And you should know that this is true. And then we have this revelation of Jesus, the Son of God. And I don't know whether it's happening here in the United States, but certainly where I come from, there's this gradual erosion to Christians, robbing us of confidence in in the divinity of Jesus, that he is God the Son. And you even hear people saying, even my Prime Minister, every now and then when he needs a few more votes, he'll just throw out, you know, Jesus was a wonderful moral teacher. He's a good person to follow. And I think there's nowhere in the whole of Scripture does Jesus say, I am just a good moral teacher. And it, it, it will offend people if you really say, do you know what, he is the only way to God. He is the Son of God. He is not just a prophet. He's not just a good, a good teacher. This is who he is. We need to be confident in the revelation, not only of God as Father, but Jesus as the Son of God. And not only that, we need to be confident in his revelation. We need to be confident in the finished work of the cross. We need to be confident in his sufficiency. It's not Jesus plus what I can do. It's not Jesus and loads of therapy. It's not Jesus and, and, and. When he cried, it is finished on the cross, he was saying, all that you need is found in me. And having died on the cross, he then rose from the dead. And he's alive forevermore. And he is full of victory. And he is the name above every name. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father on high. Come on, folks. This is supposed to be giving you a sense of confidence. The future of this planet is actually in the hands of the God that you know. Maybe some of us should just start walking around a little bit little bit like this. People say, you're looking very confident today. Yeah, because I know God. And he's started the whole thing. He's going to finish the whole thing. And he holds everything together in between. And I'm confident in him. And Jesus Christ is the ultimate revelation to us. We can't allow that revelation to be eroded. Two quick things connected to Jesus in terms of source of confidence. One is this, there is a gospel, good news about Jesus that can transform lives of people. Don't let anyone rob you of that wonderful confidence. Paul said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. And through the gospel, a revelation of the righteousness of God is revealed to people. We've got to keep telling people about the gospel. This is the confidence we get through Jesus. 
that his gospel can change and transform the lives of men and women. And if I had the time, I could tell you story after story after story right now, certainly in my own church, where we watch and observe people transform beyond all recognition. They were once like this, and they were now like that. And this room is full of people like that as well. You and I have a message that we must be confident in because it has the power of God to change people's lives. I'm always, always staggered that if we keep preaching this word, people eventually will be transformed. Sometimes it sounds like foolishness. Sometimes it sounds so simple and non-intellectual, this gospel that we proclaimed. But it has the power to change people's lives. Sometimes we think, well, trouble is, I live in secular St. Louis, and the ground here is really hard. And we can always make up excuses for the fact the ground is always hard. The power of the gospel can break through that ground. The power of the gospel can change and transform people's lives. The gospel is the best news that anyone could ever hear. Do you really believe that? I think some of us think, well, there's this message and there's that message and there's another message. This is the best news that anyone can hear. When I was first saved, it was so much the best news that I'd ever heard, I just wanted to tell everybody about it. Years later, the problem I face is I've lost some of that thrill and excitement. It's become over-familiar to me. I can't turn the clock back, but I've got to realize this message is still the same today as it ever was. And the more thrilled I get with this message, the more I want to tell people about this Jesus who's come to transform their lives. We have a, a, a Sikh community, turbans, saris, that are slowly, one by one, coming to faith in Christ. It's just amazing to see it happen. We had a baptism of uh, one lady, Nimi, recently, and she brought 30 of her relatives. There were turbans to the right of me and turbans to the left. It was one of the most weirdest experiences on a Sunday morning. And they're all there, and they're all hungry, and they're all listening. And mum and dad have got saved, cousins, aunties, brother. Just this last Alpha course, um, a guy called Sandeep had been totally transformed through this gospel. I knew him before he was a Christian. He is almost unrecognizable in every way. His sister is so convicted at the transformation of her brother, because she knows her brother. She can't believe that he's the same person. She came on Alpha and she was already there, just saying, I've seen it. I need this Jesus. I need transformation. My religion didn't do this for me. I want God. And just to see this whole community, I would never, ever have dreamt that we would ever be able to penetrate a community like that. But it's happening more and more and more. Why? Because this is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. Second thing about Jesus, go really quick, is this. He said he would build his church. The confidence that we know that his church will be wonderfully triumphant, the bride of Christ will be there at the end, is because he's the one doing the building. I am confident in this Jesus. I'm confident in his message. I know his message works, and I know he will build his church. Phew! It's not down to me. It's not about the numbers. It's not about whether we're doing well or we're not doing well. It's a promise. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That is what we stand our ground in. This is what we know. And finally, the Holy Spirit. When Jesus left earth, 
he left 120 people locked away in a room, afraid. And the, and the responsibility of these 120 people was to take this gospel and send it to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the whole earth. And there's 120 of them. They're not getting on very well, and they're locked away, and they're afraid. Well, that's a good plan. That's a really good plan. See, what everybody's missing is this. Jesus is confident in the Holy Spirit. That when the Holy Spirit comes to those 120 people, they'll be so transformed. You read Acts chapter 1, and you read Acts chapter 2, they are exactly the same people, but they're totally transformed. And the only difference between Acts 1 and Acts 2 is a person. And the person is the Holy Spirit. We must be confident like Jesus in the person of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the Holy Spirit has been given to you. He is your helper. A friend of mine who was a very bright guy at Oxford University, he got saved through reading the Bible. He just read the Bible, the Gospels, over and over. And he said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I said, great, well done. <laughs> That's true. And we prayed and he came to the Lord. Four weeks later, because he read like mad, he read the whole, everything in the Bible, Four weeks later, he came to me and said, I've been reading all about the teaching of Jesus over and over and over again. And I'm glad I'm a Christian. He said, but I don't know whether I can do this. It's so hard being a follower of Jesus. There are so many things he says that it's so hard to do. I said, Steve, you've just got to know this. Can I just say, the Christian life is not hard. It's impossible. You just need to know that. Sometimes when I'm speaking to non-Christian friends, they say, yeah, but if I become a Christian, I'm not sure I could be like you, and I'm not sure that I can keep up this Christian faith. And I just want to say, look, give your life to Jesus. Come around this side of the table, and you'll discover something. What you discover is a person. He gives us this person called the Holy Spirit. It's not down to us. We don't try and keep up. One phrase about the Holy Spirit is paraclete, which means he is your helper. The Holy Spirit has come to help you. I'm not confident looking around this room and any of you making it. But I am totally confident in the person of the Holy Spirit through which you have been born again. The Spirit of God has come in you. And we are to live by the Spirit and we are to keep in step with the Spirit and we are to be being filled with the Holy Spirit because He is the key. How many of you struggle with your prayer life? It's not a trick question. The Apostle Paul in Romans 8.26 says, we don't know how to pray. <sighs> Paul would have put his hand up. We don't know how to pray, but the Holy Spirit helps us with our weaknesses. I can't think of a single area of the Christian life where I don't need the help of the Holy Spirit. I can't understand this Bible without the Holy Spirit. Listen, you can't even worship without the Holy Spirit. You can sing songs, that's not worship. Worship comes from here. And Jesus said you, you will worship in spirit and in truth. The Holy Spirit has gifts. The Holy Spirit is dynamic. The Holy Spirit can come with power within you and sort you out. And you can be used by the power of the Holy Spirit to lay hands on people, to see the kingdom of God coming with great power. Every, everything we need, the Holy Spirit for everything. You need the Holy Spirit because your confidence will come, in, will come in His alone. I want us to be people who are, if I can say this lovingly and carefully, addicted to the Holy Spirit. I have a brother-in-law, he's American, and uh, he always goes forward at meetings to be prayed for. 
because he just, he's just got this in his heart. He's just desperate. Anything's going, he just kind of wants it. And he's not a kind of glib kind of guy. He's like that. And I was in a meeting once here in the States, and he went forward, and the appeal was for healing. And I knew there was nothing wrong with him. <laughs> he was about the first guy out the front. So all these years, I've never asked many questions. And he came back, I said, Art, what's going on? You went forward for healing? And then I know there's nothing wrong with you. He said, oh, it's simple. I went forward for general maintenance. <laughs> I, it was just like a blinding revelation to me. Of course. It's kind of an attitude that he's got. You know, you might need, you might need you know, the Holy Spirit to move in signs and wonders. I need the Holy Spirit to be a dad. To be a husband. And he's given to us as our helper. Our confidence is in him alone. Folks, this morning, I believe God's word to us is, even in a city where things are going a bit weird and we don't know the outcome, we might be a bit nervous. Where, where, where will we, what will happen? Will it all come again? Or, or you as an individual might be facing some things.